0: Uh, We do want to inform you of one alteration When you're seated in place if you're comfortable with your family in that proximity We want you to take the freedom to remove your mask. That's your choice But when we're up mixing in the building we want to continue to be considerate of one another and It's just a reminder if nothing else uh, that we don't want to take the risk of accidentally infecting anyone. Um, th- this has been a, an incredibly challenging season to be a shepherd, a, a leader, uh, trying to influence people. Because our culture has been ripped back and forth here and there with all kinds of beliefs and disbeliefs and disagreements. And I just thank God that as a group of people, you've been considerate and want to encourage you in that going forward.
1: All right, all right. Check, 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 check. Mic on. Mic check. There he is. Sorry, whenever I handed, I said Mike, your Mike the other day, and it just really tickled me, and I still can't get that out of my mind. The small things in life, you know, the small things. All right, Daniel, chapter eight is where we are. Ben, it's so wonderful seeing you here this morning. I'm going to have Ben at some point. Him and Sean share a little bit about what we're doing over there in that Taylor Place one house Matt recommended that. But this is one of the guys that has an office over there. So, huh? Stand up, Ben. Oh, look at that. We make him stand up. Yeah, Ben. Woo! Disciple making craziness going in over there. He's over at North Boulevard, but they don't give an office we do, so I don't know why he's over there. (laughs) Probably because they pay his salary and we couldn't afford it. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) All right. Woo. I'm about to get myself in trouble this morning. Mm. Uh, I told him that I do crazy stuff. Remember that morning when I ran into the side of the pillar over there trying to teach people what charismatic folks do? <clears throat> that hurt really bad. All right, Daniel chapter 8. All right, so last week, I'm just unloading my pockets here. So last week we finished up Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 like in the peak of that, in the middle of that chapter, you have that beautiful picture of the son, one like a son of man. You know, the one like the son of man presented before the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is like judging in favor of the son of man and against these beasts. And, and it's just this incredible picture. I just, man, I could go back over that so many times looking at the son of man. Um, and then after that, it has the interpretation. And, you know, Daniel's fixated on that fourth beast. These are crazy visions and dreams Daniel's having. Like, so many times, it says he's scared. He's terrified. Today, it's going to say at the end that he laid sick for days. Like, so part of me is like, Lord, I want some of these dreams. Give, give me some of them dreams and visions. I'll, I, hey, part of me's going, whew. This was some pretty serious stuff that Daniel was going through. Like, for real. For real. So, we're going to end up with... Starting, not end up, we're starting again with yet another vision that Daniel has. So, Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, a vision appeared to me. Daniel, after the one that had appeared to me earlier. So, the first thing we know is this is still during Belshazzar's reign, right? Babylon is still ruling right, Daniel is high in Babylon because of God's grace and what, what's happened, um, and he gets yet another dream or vision, and I th- sit back and I think about this, this is a vision, sorry, I sit back and think about this, and so many times we read through this real quick, and we're like, wow, Daniel's getting dreams every night, well, not really, this is like two years later, right, so this is like one and a half, two years, something like that, in the first year of Belshazzar, he got the dream vision, now it's in the third year that he's getting another one, okay. I saw the vision, and what what I'm going to do this morning is we're just going to rip through the vision, and then it's going to give the interpretation. So I've got some pictures and different things like that. That way we can kind of get a better idea of of what this is. So when I don't go through the interpretation off the bat, just know that we'll go to the end. We'll say that for the end. Okay, I saw the vision. So this is this great vision that I saw. As I watched, I was in the fortress city of Susa in the province of Elam. So this is Babylon, Right here. And then he was... And so if you've never been here, he's doing that for the people of Zoom. He's not taunting me. Uh, so this is... Ugh, I should have asked for Justin's big old juicy laser pointer. That's much better than this guy. All right. So he's over here. This is Babylon. But he finds himself here in Susa, all right? Which is uh, in the Ulai Canal, by the Ulai Canal, which is, um, for geography's sake, modern-day Iran. So he, he's in Iran, where, we, where Iran is now. <clears throat> okay. I saw in the vision that I was beside the Ulai Canal. So he's beside this canal. He looks up, and there was a ram standing beside the canal. He had two horns. You can go to the next slide. So he looks up, and he sees this ram standing beside the canal, and the ram has a couple horns. There we are. All right? And what's in, This is an interesting ram because it says the, uh, the two horns were long, so we had these nice long horns, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one came up last. So interesting, right? So this horn here looks a little bit longer. This was longer than the other one. It also came up last. I won't get too much in the interpretation, but I do want you to remember the bear from Daniel chapter 7 who had three ribs in its mouth, and it was leaned up on one side. Just do that. And now we see one side longer than the other here. Okay. I saw the ram charging west, north, and south. No animal could stand against it, and there was no rescue from his power. He did whatever he wanted, and he became great. So go to the next slide. So we're not going to get too much in the interpretation right now, but you see, we at least know that this, there is this ram coming from the west. And when he comes from the west, what does it say? I saw the ram charging, excuse me, to the west, to the north and to the south. Okay? Coming from the east, going to the west. All right? So he comes from, I pointed the right way and said the wrong words. <clears throat> But no animal, get this—like no, no animal could stand against him. Like this is like this. Anything that came up against this ram, no good. But then this interesting thing happens in verse five. He says, "As I was observing, a male goat appeared coming from the west. So out of the west here. So this thing charges to the east and to the north. I mean to the west and to the north and the south. And then from the west comes another, a goat that's going to charge right at this ram. You can go to the next slide if you want." As I was observing, the male goat appeared coming from the west across the surface of the entire earth without touching the ground. So we're saying this thing was flying. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and rushed at him with savage fury. I saw him approaching the ram and infuriated with him he struck the ram, breaking his two horns, and the ram was not strong enough to stand against it. So, you this other horn, you see it's got its horn in its mouth. Like this, this uh, goat comes and pow, pops the ram, breaks its horns. And it looked like this ram was like invincible. Like, who can stop this ram? Well, this goat had no problem doing it. No problem doing it. He was the goat, if you know what I mean. Kids, there. <laughs> Whew. I'm, I don't even know where I'm at right now. Hold up a second. <laughs> Thank you, John. By the way, the NRSV, what I usually read, was irritating me, so I'm reading from the Christian standard. It's, it's a little bit smaller print right now for this section. So I'm having, All right, there we go. Verse 8. Then the male goat acted even more arrogantly. So this goat is acting like it's the goat, like it's super arrogant. But when he became powerful, that large horn was broken. So this giant horn, this arrogant um, goat, in the midst of its power, boom, it breaks off. And go to the next slide. I try to do my best. Four horns appear now. Pretty weird, huh? Isn't this weird? Four conspicuous horns came up in its place, pointing toward the four winds of heaven. Man, if I was Daniel, I'd be like, what is going on? It's crazy stuff. Yeah. It's the same goat and the horn breaks off and then the four more come out. If I hadn't heard this before, I'd be like, dude, I don't know what you're doing, but there's some cra- anyways. All right. Then it gets even crazier. All right, go to the next slide. So from one of these horns, yet another horn starts growing. This is then it's probably looking really freaky weird. And then verse 9, From one of them, a little horn emerged and grew extensively toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land, which is probably Israel. It grew as high as the heavenly army, made some of the army and some of the stars fall to the earth, that's interesting, and trampled them. It acted arrogantly. So here we go. This horn is acting arrogantly as well. Even against the prince of the heavenly army, or the prince of princes, it revoked the regular sacrifice. So think about this. This, is, this word is going to Daniel, um, who, I think this is really interesting. The, sa- the sanctuary, the sacrifices aren't going on now, remember? What happened? Nebuchadnezzar ended it. So what's interesting is in the midst of a lot of negative here, there's a little bit of hope. Oh, the sanctuary is going again. <laughs> All right. He overthrew, but then, of course, in the midst of that hope, This little horn overthrows the sanctuary. All right, so, uh, excuse me. He overthrew the place of the sanctuary. In rebellion, the army was given up together with the regular sacrifice. The horn threw truth to the ground and was successful in what it did. So this horn does some pretty arrogant, pretty blatantly in-your-face against God stuff. And then in verse 13, he says, Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to the speaker, how long will these events of the vision last? It's almost like this outcry. Like in this midst of these horrible things, the, the sacrifices stopping, truth being thrown to the ground. We're probably going to get there, but I believe that's the, they're talking about the Torah. They're just trampling on uh, the Jewish people and what they believed. And then you hear this cry out from this holy one. It's like, how long? How long will this take place? The regular sacrifice, the rebellion or abomination that makes desolate. That's really interesting. We'll get there. And the giving over of the sanctuary and the army to be trampled. How long will these horrible things happen? And it says, he said to me for 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then then the sanctuary will be restored. All right. This is interesting because this is where I've said over and over, (sighs) I want to go and share this stuff, but we can go super deep. And then some people are going to be like, dude, what are you talking about? We can also go super high level, and then the people that want to go a little bit deeper, be like, come on, give me, give, give it, let's give it a little more. So this fine balance of talking through these things. The Hebrew word does say, by the way, it doesn't have and. It's 2,300 evenings, mornings. I think it actually is probably 2,300 days because of that. But anyways, um, the sanctuary be restored. Now we get the interpretation. But as we always know when we receive these interpretations, sometimes it has us going yes, and sometimes it goes, but what does that mean? Can you interpret the interpretation? That would be really nice, because that's what we're trying to do. Some of it's really clear-cut, and sometimes you're like, huh. Okay, verse 15. I know we're just ripping through this, but we're going to get into the to the goods right now. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it. So Daniel yet again This great man of God who understands visions and dreams, it doesn't just come immediately to him all the time, by any stretch. He's trying to figure out, what does this mean? I'm trying to understand this. There stood before me someone who appeared to be a man. So he sees this person that looks like, this figure that looks like a man, and I heard a human voice calling from the middle of the Ulai. So in the middle of the Ulai River, he hears this voice, Gabriel. Who's Gabriel. You guys remember Gabriel? You guys ever read about Gabriel? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right, Deborah. He, he, he gave this, the message to Mary. So you think about this, this being um, hundreds and hundreds of years before that, you see him delivering this message to Daniel. Gabriel explained the vision to this man. So this Gabriel says, so he approached where I was standing, and when he came near, I was terrified and I fell face down. <laughs> So you look at Mary was terrified, too. She was pretty scared. Uh, This grown man, Daniel, older man at this point, was like, I'm not going to lie. I was terrified. I fell face down when this Gabriel came to me. Scared me. Son of man, he said. Understand that the vision refers to the time of the end. Interesting that he says son of man here, but I want to really quickly point out there's a huge difference in him calling Daniel son of man. He, Ezekiel's called son of man a whole lot. In Hebrew, it's Ben-Adam. That just means son of Adam. All right? That's totally different than Daniel chapter 7 when it was one like a son of man who presents himself before the Ancient of Days and all that good stuff about Jesus. Okay? so don't, He's not calling Daniel the son of man, the one like a son of man. He's just saying Ben-Adam, son of Adam. So he says that the vision refers to the time of the end. Okay. Then he says, while he was speaking to me, I fell into a deep sleep. Isn't that interesting? I I can't go into too much. I could go forever if I go into all the details about this. I'm just going to say, isn't this interesting? He's speaking in Daniel falls asleep, into a deep sleep. And I've read a lot of different thoughts about this, but again, I don't think we have time to go into this. With my face to the ground... Then he touched me and made me stand up. So for whatever reason, he falls into a deep sleep and then gets touched and he gets stood up. And he said, I am here to tell you what will happen at the conclusion of the time of wrath because it refers to the appointed time of the end. Okay, boom. Let me tell you, there's more than this interpretations of this, but let me tell you probably the three most prominent interpretations of Daniel chapter eight. Okay, one is, no matter what, even though it says historical past, all this is future to Daniel, right? Daniel, none of this, Daniel's in Babylon. He knows nothing about Medo-Persia and, and Greece and all these different things that we're going to talk about. So it's all, but from our perspective, the one interpretation is that all of this is the historical past and it is God telling Israelites what's going to happen to them. Like, hey, some bad stuff's going to happen. Some empires are going to, going to continue to lead you. Right now you're in your Babylon, you're not getting out quick. You read about some horrible things that will happen with this little horn, and I'm forewarning you. I'm telling you ahead of time so that you know, so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be strengthened, so forth and so on. Uh, There are people that believe that this whole thing comes from the future. Like, this whole Daniel chapter 8 is all about the future, which I'll talk about that a little bit here in a second. I, I have a challenge... That's the hardest one for me to to believe. But um, anyway, or then dual fulfillment, which is kind of where I land, is that it is historical past, but I think that there are some signs that point to, well, okay, this may be a type of something that's going to come as a, the temple was a type and a foreshadow of what's in heaven and so forth. We've talked about this before. That would be me. I think we have people from probably all three point of views that are in this room right now. So with that being said, let's go. And th- that phrase, the time of the end, is a big debate, right? So that's, that, that, is, that, is, that is one of the things. So what does he mean by the time of the end? In context, the last time he mentions a specific time, it's 2,300 evenings and mornings. And so a lot of people believe that he's saying that that's the end of that 2,300 evening and mornings. Some people say the end means the end of this vision that Daniel's saying. Some of them say, think that it was the end when Jerusalem was destroyed. Some people say he's talking about the end of time, all right? That phrase, the end, is nothing special. I'll say that. I did do the research on that pretty deep, and it's just basically like the same phrase as when I said the end of the 40 days and 40 nights. Okay? Like, I mean, that couldn't be something big, but it's nothing like, whoa. Okay. So people debate about that. All right. So now we are actually going to get some clarity here to what all this is about. It's interesting that Daniel focused, he was so focused on the fourth kingdom, and now it looks like God is just giving him a vision that's going to talk about some of these other ones. So, like, hey, let's give the let's give the reader some more some more details. I know you're focused on this fourth kingdom, Daniel, but here's let's give some more interest some more details on these. Okay, verse 20. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. So, next slide. So, without a doubt, unequivocally, Media and Persia. All right. Now, if you're a pure futurist, what you say is that has to do with the geographic region region of Media Persia. So, he's talking about Iran. Okay, and that's what they say. So look out for Iran. Iran's going to come sweep through, and that's what they would say. All right? But I'm sticking with Media and Persia, uh, where he said this is about Media and Persia. All right? The shaggy horn—oh, go to the next slide, actually. So let's talk about this real quick. This absolutely happened in history. Okay? Media and Persia comes up. We, we know through the book of Daniel what happens after Babylon. The beads come in, right? The Persians come in. The reason that the one horn is longer and it comes up later is the Persians— Basically, over time, became the most powerful of the Medio Persian dynasty. If you go all the way back, some of y'all are like, "Dang, we're doing a history lesson." I get, I get ejected about this. Here, Holy Spirit, help us to understand how to apply this to our lives today. Let us not just read through this, get a history lesson, and go off and say, "Wow, that was really good." Holy Spirit, please show us how we can live this out. Okay, seriously, let's ask, be asking those questions in your head. What does this reveal about God and people, and how can we live this thing out um, as we go through this? Because there is some absolute. Practical application we can have. Okay, but this actually happened. And think about this. Think about Daniel, who's in the midst of Babylon and the Babylonian Empire is ruling and all these things. And to hear, hey, Daniel, don't worry. Maybe (laughs) there's someone that's going to come in. But I guess it's it's unforeseen, so he doesn't know what's going to happen. There's another nation arising from this media Persian Empire, and it's going to come west. It's going to go north, and it's going to go south, which is exactly what it did. All right, they came from the east. They went west, they defeated Babylon, they defeated Egypt, and all this stuff, right? Then he says, in verse 21, the shaggy goat represents the king of Greece, or Hebrew, it's the uh, Yavan, because Greece wasn't really much of anything whenever he gave this, which really meant this Grecian and over into Asia Minor, Turkish, modern-day Turkey and Greece area. From here, from that area, is going to come a king, is what he says. <clears throat> and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king. So go to the next slide real quick. All right, yeah, go on. Shouldn't Okay, so... What I believe this is talking about, and most everybody does, is Alexander the Great. We've talked about Alexander the Great a lot. This has really got me into history even more. Y'all should read about this stuff. This is it, this is so intriguing. Go and read. Like we'll, you know, we'll get a little bit to. Uh the Diadochi, and the wars they had, and all these crazy things. It's really interesting stuff after Alexander, but that's, it, Alexander does it. Like he, right, he's from the West. It says you're going to come from the West. He comes from the area of Yvonne, and he comes, and he goes, and he conquers all of this, and you know how it said earlier, like, his feet didn't touch the ground? We've said this before. He was 20. The dude, when he's 33, dies. So in almost no time, can I mean, I don't want think of, like, I, how old are you again, Ethan? How old is he? He's not even paying attention to me. He's... 19. Okay, good. Sorry. So, I'm just going to, you know. So, basically, barely over Ethan's age until who, who's, who's 33? Anybody? 34? Nathan. Just kidding. Anyways, whatever. 13 years. Right? But, like, so this young guy just comes in out of dead gum nowhere, flies through this and just crushing everybody. Young man, right? Powerful. Powerful. I mean, look at Ben, you're 25? I mean, so, I mean, it's like sitting here like Ben's age right here, just just destroying people. It's incredible, incredible, which does show me this when we want to look to some, some ways to interpret and to think through this. No matter how strong your country or your empire or your kingdom is, remember that, that ram, that thing was unstoppable. Nothing could touch it, and all it took was one person to come and blow that thing out of the water, and Alexander the Great does just that. So... Where do we put our trust? That's a, that's, a, that's a really great question. Do we put our trust in, we can love our country and care for it, but do we put our trust in the kingdom of God that we know is unstoppable, <laughs> it's, ne- it's going to last forever, or do we put our trust in the kingdoms of man? Because if we do, we might find ourselves in a really wacky place if we see us crushed. Actually, Media Persia was a li- lasted a little over two hundred years, so a little less than how old we are right now. And it was super powerful, and boom, Alexander just crushed it. Okay, um, the two hundred ram that you saw in okay, the shaggy. Okay, the four horns that took place out of the broken horn represent four kingdoms that will rise from the nation, but without its powers. You can go to the next slide, if you don't mind. Ha. Okay. So, what happens when Alexander, he dies early, right? I've said this, but let's just say it again for anyone who doesn't know or who's new here. So, Alexander died of a fever when he was 33 years old. When he died, his wife or girlfriend, I don't know if everyone's for sure, but she was pregnant, And so there's this huge, like, battle. Like, what are we going to do with this kingdom? And they're like, if it's a male, it needs to go to the baby. And other people are like, no way. It needs to go to um, the generals and different things like this. So I would say that this thing where four horns come up, it is not as clean like if you read, some people will just go through. This, go, oh yeah, four horns come up. It was, uh, Cassander and and Ptolemy and all these and all these things. It it was not that clean. It was a bunch of fighting, to be honest. Even like this, this is just one map that I pulled up, but it you you see like uh you see oh, this Cassander and Lysimachus up here. The um you have the Ptolemaic Empire that ends up there. Antigonus the one-eyed. Go go read about him. Seriously, he was one bad dude, and he was blind in one of his eyes. But he he you don't mess around with Antigonus. Uh, and I just think that's a real cool name, Antigodos the One-Eyed. Sounds like John Wayne or something. Sounds like some tough stuff. Okay. Uh, and the Seleucid dynasty over here. Okay. And this, is, this thing was shifting all the time, pretty much. I mean, not like huge amounts, but it's shifting all the time. There's a, there's a bunch of different things, but... In general, there were about four predominant families that battled this thing out, and it kind of shifted into that. Now, some will say, some will point to this and go, this isn't about Greece because of that, right? Um, that there, it, there, were, there were 10, at certain times, divisions of this thing and whatever. They'll say this has to be future. I'll just, I'm going to give credence to everything real quick, all right? Again, you all make your decisions for yourself. Um, But the futurist would say something along the lines of, this actually has to do with Iran and Turkey because of Yavon, and in the end of time, uh, someone from Iran is going to rise up, someone from Turkey is going to come in and blow them away, and there's going to be four great kings that come out of it or whatever. All right? Um, So that's what I'll say. Anyways, okay. So the four horns broken, the four kingdoms, but it is very much true that it says that they will rise from the nation, but without its power. They didn't. It was all divided up, and they fought constantly. So Greece was never the same again after Alexander died. Just straight up, it wasn't. There's a lot of fighting and all these kind of things. Okay, then it says, near the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels had reached the full measure of their sins. So it's basically, in context, it's saying at the end of this, uh, these Diadochi wars and stuff. All these people that are that are that are fighting. Now at the end of this, when the rebels have reached the full measure of their sin, a ruthless king, skilled in intrigue, will come to the throne. So even more ruthless, even more terrifying. This, there's this king's going to come, and he's not even going to mess around with folks. All right, he's going to come to the throne. And this is that other horn that grew up out of the horns. His power will be great. But it will not be his own. He will cause outrageous destruction and succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the powerful along with the holy people. So this is, uh, this is pretty terrifying, actually, pretty scary. He's going to destroy the powerful along with the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his influence. And in his own mind, he will exalt himself. I'll pause here and let's go to the next slide. Um, it's about this horn. Go to the next slide. So, what most people would say this is Antiochus. Antiochus. I've so many different pronunciations. I'm gonna go with Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, it's Antiochus. Okay. Now we'll get here in just a second. But I wanted to pause here because it says he will, um, in his own mind, he will exalt himself. Do you know what Epiphanes means? He called himself Antiochus Epiphanes. God manifest. The really crazy play on words was that the people under him called him antiochus the madman so they they thought he was a little wild that's why he says he's ruthless and cunning just just crazy guy all right all right he will just uh where am i at here i use i like my other bible where the words are a little bigger you know um time place you'll even stand 24 oh i was way down Yeah. Okay. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his influence, and in his own mind he will exalt himself. He will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes, which is really interesting. Some people believe that's a a reference to Christ, like he's going to stand against Christ's kingdom, though Jesus has not been revealed at that point, or it means that he's going to come against heavenly armies, a lot of different things you can talk about. But yet he will be broken, not by human hands. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been told is true, now you're to seal up the vision. So what vision does he tell him to seal up? Specifically the one about the evening and mornings, okay? Um, because it refers to many days in the future. So we, we can know that like some of this stuff that we've been reading about Medo-Persian stuff, that's going to happen pretty quick. Like, but this specific part, he's being told, listen, that 2300, which if you go to Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus, I'll probably call them both different ones, this was around like 170. So this is hundreds of years after Daniel receives this vision um he says seal it up preserve it this is this is for some time down the road then it says i daniel was overcome and lay sick for days isn't that crazy like daniel we see this guy like third in the kingdom and doing all these great and powerful things then we see like these visions are like making this guy sick like he's sick and imagine like he is so well known in the kingdom i think the last thing he wants to do is take a sick day so this must have wrecked daniel right he lay sick, then I got up and went about the king's business. I was greatly disturbed by the vision, and I could not understand it. Look at that. He has the, he's just like us. I got the, thanks for giving me the interpretation, but I don't understand it. But for, for us, it's even easier because we can look at history. He didn't even have none of that, right? He, he might not even know who the people in Greece are and all these things. And he's talking to the king of Yvonne. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that could be, and who's this media persian what are they going to do and i mean he's just all messed up over this thing right so messed up that he's sick i can't believe that so i'm going to read again really quickly that description of the little horn and then we'll be then we'll be done um and again i want us to think again continue to think through how does this how does this apply what can we get out of this for today because this is, this is really, really interesting. Uh, I will say again that futurists, many believe that this is all about an Antichrist figure that's going to come in, in the future. Most historical people will say that it's about Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, though there are some differences. I will say that I believe that he's a type of something that's going to happen in the future. Because there's a few things that don't, that are really interesting. But I absolutely believe it's historical and about him but he was a bad dude. So th- I'm gonna show you how bad this dude was as I read through this, okay? Um, it says, I'm gonna read this really quick. From one of them, a little horn emerged and it grew essentially toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. And he did do a lot of that. He went down and he, con- he went into Egypt um, where the Ptolemaic Empire was and all this stuff. It grew as high as the heavenly army and made some of the army and some of the stars uh, fall to the earth and trampled. And this is where commentators have all kinds of disagreement. What does this mean by these stars? And he goes up to heaven and he throws them down, right? And he tramples on them. Um, that's why many people believe that this is like goes in with Revelation 12, if I'm not wrong, about the beast going and casting down these things from heaven. I actually try to look at the context as much as I can when I interpret. And in Daniel chapter 12, it actually talks about stars. Uh, that those who are righteous shine like the stars in heaven. And that's what I lean towards, saying that he's going to, but it's really scary because it means he's going to take these righteous people and just crush them. Like, and Antiochus absolutely did that. So here's what's interesting about history. After like the Babylonian Empire, all these different empires and stuff are pretty nice to the Jewish people. Like, they're, they're, they allow them to, this temple, the temple gets rebuilt. Remember when we studied about the temple being rebuilt? The temple gets rebuilt. They're doing sacrifices. They're doing all these things. And, you know, though they rule over them and they take money from them and stuff, they're not, they're letting the, them be Jewish. They're letting them do their thing. They're doing their sacrifices until this guy. So it was not until this guy. This guy was pretty cool to them at the beginning, but he had some issues with the Romans, and then he ended up just flipping a switch, and he absolutely went against all everything that the Jewish people, that Israel was doing at, the, at that point in time. And so he absolutely trampled and fell on them. He, he killed thousands of Israels, Israelites, okay? It acted arrogantly, even against the prince of the heavenly army, and it revoked the regular sacrifice. He was very arrogant. I mean, his name was God Manifest. Not only did it do that, but he stopped the regular sacrifice. Antiochus did it. He said, no more. You're not doing the sacrifice. Which, put yourself there. With, put yourself as Daniel. Put yourself as an Israelite. Put yourself as, like, sitting back and thinking, wow. Like, the heartbeat of, of faith in God is God's presence, the temple, him being with us. Sacrificing, atoning for sin, right? We we know how bad we need atonement for sin, right? Anna? We just, I mean, that was beautiful. Like we have to have this, and so these these folks are hearing that there's going to be this cruel ruler that's going to come and trample people, and going to stop the sacrifices from happening. He did. By the way, if this is about which I believe, Antiochus, this is also about Hanukkah, which I'll, I'll hit here in a second. All right. He So if if you want to know the story of Hanukkah, we'll touch it just really quick. Um, He revoked the regular sacrifice. He overthrew the place of the sanctuary. Uh, In the rebellion, the army was given up together with the regular sacrifice. The horn threw truth to the ground and was successful in what it did. And again, I, I think horn means the Torah. I mean, the truth means the Torah. I think he just trampled on the Jewish people. He trampled on their sacrificial system. He trampled on their beliefs, and he did. Antiochus Epiphany said, no more. If you want to practice your Jewish beliefs, you will die. Like, is how absolutely anti he was. He was horrific. Uh, it would, people, the Jewish people did not like this guy. Could you imagine that happening to us, right? That's something we should, we should consider. I might talk about this as an end. But, um, I mean, coming in and saying, you cannot practice what you're going to do or you will die, right? Pretty crazy stuff. This is, you guys heard of the Maccabean revolts? Like, the Maccabees. okay. So, uh, Judah Maccabea, Maccabea. I got so screwed up. Luris is laughing. We were watching this video yesterday. This guy was mispronouncing the Maccabees, left and right. And I was like, gosh, come on. This guy needs to pronounce it right. Anyways, that's why she's laughing. But the Maccabees came in. They revolted against this guy. They said, "No way. You're not going to do this. You're not going to take away sacrifice." And this really in- interesting revolt came against and they won. They won. And the, and that's why it says here and then it says, is, uh, it said, "Towards the, end of, at the at the end of it, it said, "Yet he will be broken, not by human hands." And it was really crazy how they won. I mean it was really powerful that they came in and did that. That's why people celebrate Hanukkah. That's what the celebration of Hanukkah is is the winning against this Antiochus Epiphanes and um, the Jewish people being preserved, you know, once again. What did Sean say? Every holiday is uh, every, every holiday for, in Israel is, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. <laughs> it's true That's pretty true Um, so so, so these things happen and then the 2300 evenings and mornings there's a lot of different thought about that some people divide that into two evenings and mornings Um, I don't really have time to go through all the details about that, you go study that go look at what's the 2300 evenings and mornings here's something that's interesting though and this is why, and this is just me personally I may be totally wrong this is why I think that it hints towards some things in the future Um, But this absolutely happened. One is this. The regular sacrifice, the rebellion that makes desolate, or the abomination of desolation, that's talked about in Daniel chapter 9 as well. Y'all, Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation, okay? Meaning, Jesus was talking 200 years almost after Antiochus died. And Jesus is saying it's yet, there's still a future part to that. You guys, If you read Matthew chapter 24, it's about the destruction of the temple and all these different things. He says, look out for the abomination that causes desolation. Let the reader understand. It's about Daniel. So while I personally believe this is absolutely about Antiochus, I also believe there's a that hints towards there's also another fulfillment to that. Or there was if you could go and say the temple being destroyed or whatever you want to say. I would say that there's a, a, an end times, but that's just me personally. Um, because it also says this um, that it couldn't just be if it can't also just be, well, this is someone in Rome when the temple was destroyed or whatever, because this says at the end of verse um, 24, uh, 14, for twenty-three hundreds evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be restored. Uh, the sanctuary wasn't restored, right? Unless, you're, unless we're going to talk then about a third temple and we can get all into that. But you know what? I feel like I'm getting too deep. So uh, let's, just, let's just stop here right there. But let's ask ourselves as we end here this morning, um, this really hit me. Because I recognized as I read through this, and I recognized a couple of things. The first thing is when I stopped and I said, man, you know what? The kingdoms of this world, God does rule over. And no matter how much we put our, str- our, our power or strength or our trust in our kingdom, or even here at the U.S., and how powerful it appears to be, in a second this thing can be wiped out, right? So where is my allegiance, right? Not that we can't, be, uh, we can't have allegiance to the U.S. Of course, of course we do. But is our primary allegiance to the kingdom of God. That's a really good question. It's a really good question. And then I also, as I read through this, I recognized this was a warning. This was a God being so generous to the Israel Israelite people to say, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen so that you know what to do, right? So that you can be prepared. Will we take this and we recognize that even after all of this stuff happens that some pretty horrible things have happened throughout history to the church? Is that right? I mean, we can go, we can go read through church history. And I'll say that, As believers, oftentimes we have a really, at least Western believers, a weak um, doctrine of suffering and what that looks like, right? Like we're told Jesus is going to come into your life and everything's going to be fantastic and you're never going to have any problems and all these things. But when you read through here, we see that the people of God here and throughout history, like go read the New Testament. What is Peter saying? All these things, you're going to endure suffering. Sufferings and challenges are going to come, right? Right? Like, if we're wiped out because of things that have happened recently this last year, then we have, we have weak footing. And so to me, it's like almost like, you know, whenever you were in school and you did the tornado drills or the fire drills, like, you don't know if it's ever going to come. But you better be prepared <laughs> so that if it does come, then you're ready for it, right? Like, I don't know if the church, we need some more tornado drills. And we need to actually sit back and think about what happens if, right? doesn't mean that we dwell in this place that we're constantly going, well, it's going to happen, the U.S. is going to turn against us, or someone's going to conquer our country, and then we're going to not be, but not, not that we live in a place of that, but what happens if, right? What if another country comes in and takes us down? What if you're told that you're not allowed to, to practice following Jesus, you know? What, if, you're, what if, if you have a Bible, you're killed? Like, and plus, that's happening all over the world, Right. What what do you what do? Because do? Like, do we, we, if we wait until we get in it to answer those questions, we're probably going to be weak sauce, y'all. You know? Like, what happens when we're told that we can't gather anymore, right, because we're, because we're not allowing religious gatherings? What do we do? Do we say, okay, fine, I'll just go kind of do my own thing? In the midst of all that, I look at the early church, and I see how they're advancing the kingdom despite the <laughs> persecutions and stuff. So it's not like, this is not just about self-preservation, This is the church. We should ask ourselves very seriously, how can we continue to grow God's kingdom even if these things come against us? How can we continue to share and to love our neighbors and to share the kingdom of God and to make disciples, as Jesus called us, even if these things take place? So even more than just how can we preserve what we have, how can we preserve and advance and grow the kingdom if any of these types of things take place, right? And I think that's a really good question that we need to ask ourselves and ask ourselves as a community, as a whole. How can we do this? Ask ourselves, what happens if these things take place? What am I gonna do personally? What are our family gonna do? And how can we continue to, to, to be strong in the Lord, right? Or we look at ourselves and go, well, I don't know. Maybe we're not really doing much kingdom advancing right now. So <laughs> I'm guessing that I might not be doing too much if we get heavy persecution, right? Just some things that I thought about. Let's pray, y'all. Lord we continue to honor you and we continue to worship you as the God over all of history. Lord, we continue to glorify your name and Lord, I pray right now that everyone in this room, that Lord, that we, we make the determination because of our passionate love for you. Lord, we sang that song. What do we sing? Uh, I've decided to follow Jesus. Well, that song is, uh, can sound cutesy, but that's real. That is a real song. Uh, if none go with me, I will follow. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we don't just sing that as a, as a song, as a nice little cute Christian song, but Lord, that we actually make that, that determination in our hearts this morning, Father, and that we walk it out, Lord. That, I just pray right now that you would bless us with such a love for you, Jesus, that everything else just pales in comparison to that love for you that we absolutely say, if none go with me, I don't care. I have my beloved and he's mine and I will follow him and I will follow him wherever he goes and I will do whatever he tells me to do. No matter what comes against me, no matter what hardships come against our family, no matter what comes against our country, no matter what, I will follow Jesus. I will go and I will, the world behind me, the cross before me, I will pursue and I will run after him and I'll walk in loving obedience to everything that he calls us to do. Lord, I pray that if there's any areas, Lord, where we're not doing that right now, there would be Holy Spirit revelation right now, like right now that you would just give us revelation. And I glorify your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all, we're going to take, as, I, <clears throat> as we've been doing, let's just take a few moments of just being still before the Lord, uh, just to listen to God's voice, to ask him to highlight maybe something that we've read this morning or to speak, because we, I want us to continue to grow as listening to God as a community that it's not, First Corinthians 14 talks about a church and many people getting up and speaking and us listening together as a community, not just one guy up here just saying everything. So let's just listen. Um, I just ask that you would just be still and just, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just bring revelation right now, that you would speak to our hearts uh, and that you would teach us, Lord, individually and as a community.